Today on Growing Through Grace. You can't formulate or duplicate the work of God. His methods are discovered by faithfulness. What works in one place may not work in another. We want to copy, but that's what'll work. No, no, that's not a good idea. We should know the Lord. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elam of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. It's good to be with you again. We're going to pick up where we left off last time in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 20, and join Pastor Jack as he teaches us through the method that Paul exemplifies to plant and grow churches. Teach the Word, train up men to do the same, and then send them out. He'll then show us how God used Paul in both natural and supernatural ways. So let's join our teacher for the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Jack. Imagine sweatbands and aprons being brought to someone and immediately that they're healed or they're delivered from Satan or from the demons. Through this, God made a name for himself. And with this, the gospel that Paul was preaching every day in this rented schoolroom began to see power and, and I, you know, there was a verification of what he was saying. He wasn't just talking a good game. People could see it. And God stood with him. And these signs shall follow those that believe. And I believe that God does that still. He does great things in the eyes of the world so that what we're preaching is the very same things that people need to hear. And they're verified by the work of the Lord. Not this way, unusual, but in whatever God chooses to do. And I always like these things in the Bible because you can't put God in a box. You know, people love to, to recreate. How did the Lord do it? Well, there were sweatbands and aprons. All right, let's get some of those. And let's sweat in them, and then let's put them on people. That'll work. It's never going to work. Because you can't, you can't formulate or duplicate the work of God. His methods are discovered by faithfulness. What works in one place may not work in another. Hard to replicate. We, we want to copy, but that's what'll work. No, no, the very next story here tells us that's not a good idea. We should know the Lord. There is something to be said, and, and it's a lesson that is repeated, and that's why I bring it up here in the Bible, where the Bible puts us in positions where we have what, what, what Bible scholars oftentimes call points of contact. Let me explain what that means. Most people believe as Christians that God can do the miraculous. I, I, I don't think any of you as believers would say, well, I don't think God could do that. Of course he could do that. And you believe that. The problem is, we're not so sure he'll do it for us. Like, I know God heals, but I don't know if he'll, he'll heal me. Or I don't know if I should pray to heal, because I, I don't know if I have enough faith. There's always this, I, I believe it intellectually, internally, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe in that connection with God actually doing what I believe he'll do. So we have what is called passive faith. Passive meaning, I believe it and I stand over here and do nothing. Right? That's what I do. So when you get to the scriptures, you find out that the word faith is an active verb. It's not a, it, there's no such thing as, as passive faith, except in that case. And that's not good or very fruitful. So we're called upon to have active faith. And here's how God helps us. He tells us, for example, in the book of James, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil. 
and let him pray over you, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And you say to yourself, how in the world is some oil on my head going to make me feel better? It's like the little kid who got a shot in his backside for a head cold. He goes, how long is it going to take to go from there to here? <laughs> so put, you know, put oil on my head. Is that going to help me any? And the answer is no. Oil doesn't heal at all. What does? Obedience. God's power. So it gives me something to do. A point of contact where I, I touch God's promises by obeying what he says for me to do. It's very important. And it helps me because it allows me then to turn from passive faith to an expectation and a hope. When we were contemplating coming out here in the mid-80s to start a church and a Bible study, everyone that I knew and my wife knew told us that was a stupid idea. We had a good ministry job. I had 1,500 people coming on Sunday nights where I was teaching at Calvary Downey. I had my kids both in Christian school. We had a house that we could afford. And we walked away from all of it because we believed God wanted us out here. Now, honestly, no one but she and I thought it was a good idea. Everyone thought, you know, the, the accountant in all of us, you know, the, the guy who adds up numbers. This was a bad idea. Except when God tells you to do something, you just, how do you get rid of that, you know? So when a man called me who I knew and without knowing our struggle said, hey, I was praying for you yesterday and the Lord put a word on my heart and he told me to call you today. I don't know if this applies to you or not, so if I'm way off base, you tell me. But the Lord called me, told me to call you and your wife and to say what you're planning to do is the right thing, go do it. Didn't know anything about it. And I went, oh, it's perfect. That was encouraging, right? A word from the Lord through a friend who was willing to be faithful. And, and we just stepped forward with a lot more hopefulness than we might have had we not heard from the Lord. So it encouraged my faith. But there's a lot about the power of God in the Bible that I have absolutely no understanding of. And if you want me to help you, I'm just going to tell you I can't. <laughs> there is a Shunammite woman who, when with that word, Second Kings 4 maybe, who was told by Elisha the prophet that she would have a child. And she did. And Elisha was elsewhere, and his servant Gehazi was with him. When the woman, some years later, came running towards him, and Gehazi, being the prophet's servant, kind of jumped in there to protect the prophet. Sometimes people like to kill the prophet, you know. And Elisha said, no, just leave her alone. Let her come to me. She looks like she's troubled. And she said, I didn't ask you for a kid. But the kid had died. And Elisha was frustrated that the Lord hadn't shown him. And so he said to Gehazi, Here's my staff. Run ahead. Don't let anyone stop you. Put it on his body. And I'll get there as quick as I can. And the woman says, well, I'm not leaving your side. This is your fault. And off they went in the direction of where the lady lived. And, and when they got there, Gehazi said, yeah, this is not working at all. Elisha went in there and laid down on the boy face to face, mouth to mouth, nose to nose. And body seemed warm, but he got up. Nothing. Didn't help. Nothing worked. Went outside and prayed, and the Lord told him, go in and do that again. And he did, and this boy came to life. And he, he said again, he said, go give this boy to his mom. And the Lord healed him. When Elisha died and they buried him, there was a time that there was a Moabite who was fighting near the, the, the uh, grave, and as he was run in, and, or run over, or run through, I guess, by a, a knife, he died, and he fell on top of Elisha's bones. And just in, in context with the bone, they went, oh, I feel better now. I got right back up. I don't get any of that. I stand in marvel of it. I, it blesses me. 
But, but I don't know how God works. I just know that, that there are places that God gives us where he allows us to be releasing our faith to the point where you know, we, we can have confidence in the Lord. That he's not just will, uh, able, but he's willing. He, he designs them for me to, to, to have faith in the impossible. I, I see it in, in Mark chapter 8 where that blind woman or blind man is led by the hand and or comes to Jesus and Jesus spits on his eyes. I'm thinking, how does that help? And I've concluded that couldn't have helped. Come here, buddy. No. Really? And he puts his hands on him and he says, do you see anything? And the man says, I see men like trees walking. In other words, I sort of see stuff that I I couldn't see anything before, but it it is not clear. You're not a good optometrist, right? I can't see that good. And the Lord lays his hands on him again, and he made him look up, and then everything was clear. To me, that's just a, a sign of helping him along, right? What he didn't believe at all, he began to have some hope. And man, the Lord encouraged his faith. And as he did, the Lord was able to work. And, and the man, you know, was touched. I, I think about the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years who, who sneaks up behind Jesus, doesn't want to embarrass herself in public, really isn't even allowed to be there, unclean by the law standards, but figures this, if I can just touch his heaven of his garden, I know I'll be healed. And, and to her, it was that touched the Lord, the Lord will touch me. And it worked. God honored her faith. And then he made her come back and testify. <laughs> and she at least didn't want to initially. But, but this is certainly a, an, an inter, interesting, odd way, I guess, for the Lord to work. You might remember if you were with us in Acts chapter 5 that when Peter was ministering that they would lay the sick out on the streets. And uh, as you know, they laid them in beds, uh, beds and they laid them in couches. And just the shadow of Peter coming by, falling on them, healed them. It's like that point. It, it, it's all about encouraging faith. So early church, you know, saw a lot of God's hand at work, but, but this point of contact, I think, is, is an important issue to understand. Uh, physically, the oil on your head can't heal you. The, the shadow won't do you any good. Paul's sweet, sweatband, you know, may get you some money at the auction, but it's not going to heal you or deliver you. Unless God works through them, right? So when we have a promise like James, we, we can hold God to that in the sense that we're doing exactly what he wants us to do and we can have confidence. If the Lord wants healing now, we, we've done our part. We, we've participated. We've been, we've been obedient. Um, and I can release my faith, and actively so. So here in Ephesus, like I said, a very cultic town, God demonstrates his power in a very unique, non-repeatable way so that he might m- make his mark and, and the people in town began to hear and and people did hear, oftentimes. Now, before I move on from the subject, I don't want to beat it to death, but, but Paul certainly didn't try to repeat this later in his own life. So in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Timothy got sick, because he was drinking a lot of bad water, I guess, Paul said to him, look, Timothy, don't just drink the water. Find a little wine and drink that so, for your stomach's sake and the fact that you're always getting sick. Use the wine. It, it's, it's not going to make you as sick as, as the water is. Very practical, but no like, hey, here, Timothy, put this sweatband on your belly. Right? Or take my apron home with you. You'll be just fine. When, when Trophimus was sick in Miletus, Paul wrote about in his last letter to Timothy, he said that, that he had to leave Trophimus sick in Miletus because 
he couldn't wait for him anymore, but God hadn't seen fit to raise him up. And again, you don't see Paul reaching for a, a headband. When Epaphrodites, who he, Paul mentions in chapter 2 of Philippians, he was a pastor from Philippi, had come to minister to Paul while he was in prison, he got sick. And Paul said he was sick amongst us. He was sick to death, almost to death is what he said. But thank God who had mercy upon him, and not just upon him, upon me too, so that we don't have to have even more sorrow than we already have. Again, Paul wasn't reaching for a headband. He was praying God would heal him. He wasn't sure that God would. He was kind of in limbo like we are most of the time. God, what are you going to do? But, but he was thankful that the Lord had stepped in and intervened. But it wasn't any, anything miraculous in that sense, or, or these you know, on display kind of a- actions. So Paul finds himself struggling in prayer to be delivered from his thorn in this flesh, finally resolves that God's not going to deliver him from that. So there's a lot of that waiting that we're not sure of, but then there are these miraculous ways that that, that God seems to use those things that can release our faith, and and we should make ourselves available to those. So in God's sovereignty, he he does unusual things. We can't formulate to reproduce them. What we can do best is, like Paul, love the Lord obey the Lord, teach his word, and then rely upon him to guide. And then God does great things. I mean, does miraculous things. When, I think I have time. When we, when we came to, to um, Whittier, we were meeting in a house, and there was two, we had two Bible studies going two nights in a row, and we had 60 or 80 people in each Bible study as we sought to see if the Lord would plant a church. We went to the school up here on Santa Cruz, and we, we wanted to ask about having a, a place to meet. And the schools were not particularly in that time, in the middle 80s, uh, conducive to helping uh, churches. They, they were, some of them had closed and were reopening. And, and there was just a lot, you know, there's a time of favor, and this wasn't one of them. So when I made an appointment with the director of the school over there to go ask, I, I walked in kind of nervous because I knew that kind of the deck was stacked against Christians and churches and all. And I'd, I'd gone by and gotten coffee not a, I don't even know if there was start. Well, there might have been, but I had the cheap one, and, and the lid didn't stand very well. So I'm sitting in his office, and I'm just like looking around. I go, Psh, and like oh, in front of my chair, uh, really great rep- representative for the church to be. And he says, Pastor, you'd like to come in? I go, Yeah, I'm sorry, I spilled the coffee. <laughs> and yeah, you're in here, an idiot. <laughs> so I sit down, and he begins to question me about what kind of church is it, and what do you want to do exactly, and why do you need to meet in this girl? Why not? And he did like that for like ten minutes. I try to answer his questions. And I said, are we going somewhere with all this? Because I, I was getting irritated. And he said, uh, well, I'm from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I just got moved here in the district. I just want to know where you're coming from. So yeah, we can get you in the school. And then he gets us in the school. He, he's there 60 days, and they move him back to another district. Like the Lord moved this guy in. He goes, yeah, and then he leaves. He, he, he put up with my coffee. He answered my questions. He was for us. He was one of us. It's so cool to watch. Unusual, sure, but we're so thankful for it. So, the narrative of the early church. Verse 13. Then, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And this is what they said, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul is preaching. I guess it shouldn't surprise us that when something works, the fake charlatans, you know, would like to make a formula out of it. They didn't know the Lord. There's nothing in their lives that would warrant them looking to see what God might do. If you want to fail in any kind of ministry, just try to do the work of God without knowing him 
or try to just copy what someone else is doing. The word itinerant here is the word for vagabond or wandering, and there were certainly in the first century those religious folks who claimed to have power that was available for sale or, or, or were available for hire. You know, you, you've probably run into the fortune teller places. We used to go down uh, to the beach to Venice, and they used to, have, I don't know if they still do, but they used to have these, these fortune tellers set up on the, on the boardwalk in Venice. And, and they would say, you know, for $10, we'll tell you your future. So I always, always kind of mess with them. I stop, I said, I'll make you a deal. I said, I'll give you 100 bucks if you'll just tell me your name, my name. All I want you to do is tell me my name. If you don't know it, I want you to give, you to give me 10 minutes of your time so I can tell you about Jesus. And I never had one of them take me up on it. No, 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 that's, uh, we're not messing around here. You know? Okay. They would never, so, you know, there are always folks selling their lucky charms, you know, for love and wealth and health and travel. You can get your own website and your Twitter account, get a following. These cultists really did reflect their day. But notice in verse 13 that seeing the success of Paul, the unusual miracles that were carried by the Lord through his life, they began to try to see if they could somehow put that gimmick into their business so they could be profitable into their arsenal and use it. But, but they had no relationship with God. So all they could do was preach or use the name of the, of the Jesus whom Paul preached. Isn't that interesting? You should know this. God has no grandkids. He only has kids. So unless you have a personal relationship with him by faith, you're not going to be able to mimic someone else who knows the Lord. To deal with the devil without Jesus is a big mistake. And these guys found out. Well, we're told in verse 14 that there was seven sons of a fellow named Sceva. He was a Jewish chief priest who were these fake, itinerant exorcists. And the evil spirit answered these seven, Jesus I know, and I know Paul. Who are you? And the man in whom this evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a great story, isn't it? <laughs> the name Sceva is a kind of Hellenized version of a Latin word that means left-handed. But it isn't a complimentary. It means to be sinister or untrustworthy. He was a chief priest in this cult. Notice in verse 15 that the evil spirit of the man who they tried the formula upon answered back in no uncertain terms. I know Jesus. The word gnosko means I know him by experience. Literally, I fear him. I also know Paul. The word there is not gnosko. It, it's epistemi, and it means to learn by observation or exposure. I know the Lord. I know him well by experience. And we've come to know Paul, that God uses him, that he's to be feared and to be listened to, that God stands with him. But his third question is, who are you? With no protection, these seven boys of this, this sinister man are now demon food, right? One man with superhuman powers overcomes the second who have no power at all, and the pretenders are last seen as New Testament streakers, right? <laughs> Wounded, naked, running for cover. The good thing is in verse 17. This became known both to the Jews and to the Greeks who dwelt in Ephesus, 
fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. It left an awe and a fear and a respect for the name of Jesus when these phonies were exposed. It kind of happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Remember in Acts 11 how we read their great fear came upon the church and upon all those who heard these things, and there was a holiness that, that followed. Well, that happened here as well. In the next few verses, the fence-sitters, the fringe-dwellers, they, they either made 100% stand for Jesus or they moved away to not be associated with him at all because the, the, the line was too clear. You couldn't kind of play both sides of the fence. So we read in verse 18, and many who had believed, believed these were believers now, they came confessing and telling of their deeds. So we, we presume that the believers were, were maybe watered down or shallow, but now this event kind of shook their hearts. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of the books. It, had, it totaled more than 50,000 pieces of silver. And it was in this manner, so the word of the Lord prevailed and became mighty. So convinced now that Jesus alone was to be worshipped, that he alone could give victory, many came believers and maybe fringe dwellers, fence sitters, and went, men of all in. I mean, this work of God convinced them. The word practiced, praso, is, is the word that, that means someone who engages in something regularly. So these, these magic practicers, if you will, indeed did it a lot. By the way, the word magic here, it, the only place that it is found in the entire Bible besides here is in 2 Timothy 5.13. And you want to know what the translation of the word is there? Busybody. Isn't that interesting? By definition, the word means to go beyond the prescribed boundaries and do so without gain, though it costs you a great effort. You don't get anything out of it. It costs you a lot, but you, you cross the line. That's what the word literally for, for magic here means. So in Ephesus, Paul's just, man, he's just having Bible study and praying for people that are sick. And now they've got bonfires going where sorcery books are being burned. And they're just bringing them in, right? In droves, people want to separate from their past and, and burn their occult books. And the Ouija board doesn't survive. <laughs> and the book of chance doesn't make it. The values of the books that they no longer had was, was counted up to be 50,000 pieces of silver in worldly value. But in the life that it was replacing, it was priceless, wasn't it? God touched these lives. People were, were changed. And, and the summary verse in verse 20 is the powerful one, right? God's word brought permanent, lasting victory. It still does. And it's written in the imperfect tense, prevailed, which means it didn't just win today, it was also winning tomorrow and the day after and the day after. It's an, it's an imperfect verb. So God gives us this picture of the fruit in one city over a three-year period through the simple teaching of the Bible and through the simple discipleship of God's people. So what would the church and what should the church be today? We should be teaching the Bible. The, the, the word changes us. The lost will take notice of us. God's power can fall upon us. And at some point, hopefully the believers are challenged to make full commitments. Because sometimes believers aren't so fully committed and, and they don't do well as a result. Oh, we should never underestimate the power of God's word and the fact that he wants to shine his love through us to a dark and dying world. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 20. 
This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jacob Bielan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3074. And when you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters at the radio station that you're listening to. And as we're studying the beginning of the church, how about going all the way back to the beginning of creation? It's always good to see the foundations of our faith in the very first book of the Bible. And here in the month of February, we'd like to offer to you Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Genesis in the MP3 format on either a single CD or a USB flash drive. Pastor Jack takes us to the account of creation, the flood, and the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you'd like to get Pastor Jack's studies through Genesis in the MP3 format, either on a single CD or a USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all of our others available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That will bring things to a close for us today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.